everybody. How's it going? Happy Sunday. God, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially this blessing of a life. Give us the strength and the peace and the wisdom to do your will with it. For that is when we are the most fulfilled. Lord, and you are our Savior. All good things come from you.
Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Missed you last week. It was, well, it's much better this week, and it's uh, it's glad to be, I'm so glad to be back here with you all. And uh, today we just have a couple of quick announcements before we uh, move things along. Uh, in case you probably, might, must have you probably realized that they had to cancel the lap your way uh, um, with Mark Gungor thing. But if you've already purchased tickets, uh, tickets and you got them online at their website, you can go there and they'll issue you a, a refund. If you purchased them here, we have checks for you, and so we'll just give you that refund there. Tonight we're gonna we're really excited. Uh, we're gonna have our very first congregational meeting at six o'clock tonight. We're super excited about that. We're gonna we're gonna lay out the uh, uh, the vision. Uh, we're gonna tell you um, how we plan on uh, getting there, and we're going to. Uh, Talk about, you know, the finances and everything that you would do at a state of the church uh, address. Um, so please come tonight. Well, it's kind of like a state of the church address. So come tonight. It's going to be a potluck. Um, there's, I know a lot of people are already bringing soup and everything. So you can just come tonight and uh, we'll have fellowship first and we'll eat. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do our little presentation and then we'll have Q&A and just kind of hang out afterwards and, and pray and look forward to our our next year, so we're really excited about that. Um, Host Ministries Fellowship Lunch and Training on Sunday, March 8th at 11 o'clock after the service. A lot of you guys, it, it, I didn't, it, we have so many talented people here. I was just standing up here thinking about that. I, was, I didn't even know Mariah could play the guitar. It was pretty neat to see her up there doing that, even though that looked way too big for you. It looks huge. It's like a cello. <laughs> and they actually plugged Alex's keyboard in this week because he's been practicing, so... But hey, you guys, I don't know if you saw the, the host training, the host fellowship training um, video that Alex and Eric and they put together. We put it on Facebook. And the last time I checked, Eric, I don't know what it was. I was like 5,600 people had viewed that video. And so it, it, that, we, we're having a lot of fun. Host Ministries is a blast. So we hope you'll join us. It's a great way to plug in. If you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, just join up in Host Ministries. Um, it's easy. You don't have to know a lot. You don't have to do too much. You just have to have a smile and a servant's heart. So join us next week for training on that. It's time to dismiss the Kids to Kids Church. So everybody grab yourself as a donut, a cup of coffee, and we'll be back to start in just a few minutes.
Good morning, church. How is everybody? Man, I am excited for today. It's a beautiful day. Tony, you have the biggest muscles. You are the man for the job. You can carry it every week. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You are catching the last week of the Lord's Prayer series. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it has changed the way that I think of prayer completely. Um, diving into it and really studying it as deep as I have. Um, I'm so grateful that God gave us 57 words to show us the depth of what prayer can be if it's focused on Him. Um, so before we start this morning, I want to pray and I want to just invite the ushers forward. We're going to take the tithe and offering. Um, if you're our guest, we just ask you to pass on the offering. It's just our sign of worship. But Father, we thank you for what you have plan for this morning. Lord, I thank you that, um, God, that if we're obedient to just let you speak, that you'll speak through us. So just speak through me. Get me out of the picture, God. This is not about a man at a pulpit. This is about you and your glory. So Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts of every single person here. Be revealed as holy, God, and just be glorified in this house. As we give our money this morning. I pray that we would be good stewards with it, that it would go farther than we can imagine, God, and that it would be just used for the glory of your name and the furthering of your kingdom in this valley and into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the reasons I'm excited today is because um, I'm not going to be preaching the whole time, which is actually a worry because I have a lot to say, so I got to get through this quick. But my father-in-law, Gail Bourne, is going to be sharing a testimony with you which I am super excited about. We were talking at his house uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was just telling me what God has been doing in his life when it comes to prayer in the last few months, and I told him the church needs to hear this. So he agreed to come and share with you. You know, and in Revelations, there is something that's so powerful because in Revelations it says they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The cross is sufficient to change a life testimonies tell of the evidence of the cross. So having them together on a Sunday morning I think is very biblical and I think it's going to be awesome. So let's get through this quick. Before we get to the last petition because we're on number six, I wanted to just run through and just hit the first uh, five just really quick. Um, If you missed last week and you want to hear Brian talk on Forgive us our sins if we forgive those who have sinned against us. That is on our Facebook page. It's on the homepage. Go check it out. Um, we, he was here with like three people and filmed it by himself. He did a really good job pretending like there was people in the audience. So give it up for Brian. <laughs> he made it here. He said by the time he got down uh, his hill, he had already gone in the ditch three times. But he made it here on Sunday, which is amazing because I stayed home. So... So the Lord's Prayer reveals to us a new identity right off the bat um, in a way in which we approach God now, Yahweh, the great I Am, the untouchable if you look in the Old Testament. We are not just His creation, church. Although He did create us from the dust and we bear His image in a way that no other created thing in the universe owns, which is why David reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And we are not just His servants, although it is clear that his, in His Word that true joy is only found in laying down our lives and submitting our every breath to His will and for His glory. But Jesus offers us this in this prayer. Our Father, we are His children adopted through the blood of Christ, the Son in whom we know the depth of our Father's love. And so we pray our Father, our Father in heaven, in heaven, speaking of the throne of the universe, we have access to the throne of the universe. Now this just hit me this last week because I was at Home Depot and I have a new old truck, old new truck, um, and it has a keypad on the door, which I know has been around forever, but the newest truck I've had before this was 1995, so bear with me. But it has a keypad on the door so I can keep the key in it, lock the door when I go inside, don't have to worry about it, come out, type in the keypad, and I'm back in my truck. It's awesome. I love it. So I'm at Home Depot. I'm happy that I can just leave my car running because it was cold. And I go inside, come back out, put my finger on the keypad, and my mind is blank. Like nothing. Now I have to become like a super hacker. I'm like going through every five digits in numerical sequence. But... uh No, it was blank. And so I'm like, no worries. I saved it on my phone. And so I go to get on my phone and I see it in my front seat and it's in the truck. So I'm like, okay. uh, Okay, God, you gave me this brain. Help me remember how to use it, right? So I start to pray and I'm like, God, I'm locked out of my stupid truck. Like, help me out here. And this thought hit me in this funny situation, but it hit me. And I wanted to hit you this morning. I was locked out of my truck, but in a moment I had access to the throne. I was locked out of a man-made machine. How much of us are locked out of things on a daily basis, whether it be relationships or, you know, authority or these places or trucks at Home Depot, and we have access to the throne of God. See, our prayers are not just good wishes. We don't just pray upon a cloud and watch it float up into the stars. We pray... And the Father who created us out of dust is hearing us. And I got in my truck. (laughs) And when we draw near the throne of grace, we draw near with confidence as it tells us in Hebrews 4.15. The most high esteemed place in all of eternity with confidence and with boldness. Remember that all the verbs in this petition of the Lord's Prayer are in the imperative mood. They are framed of the commands. Hallow, come, be, Jesus. Tells us here that the foundational truth of prayer is that we make God God and we declare Him to be who He alone can be. In every situation, God be God. Our greatest fulfillment in all circumstances in all life is not our flesh desires being satisf- satisfied, it's God's glory being revealed. You alone have all power and authority. You alone are worthy of all praise. No matter the circumstance of my life, God, no matter what it looks like and what I see tomorrow, be revealed as holy. And give me the peace knowing that you are the God that sits on a throne, which means you have all power, all reign, all authority. And you, Lord, are king, your kingdom come. And since you are king, that means we are your nation. May your kingdom, your rule, your reign of light and joy and power and justice and splendor break through all the darkness of my soul. Reign over me, God, your kingdom come. Illuminate through me, God, your kingdom come. Make me an instrument of your peace, God, your kingdom come. 
And Lord, let your will be done in my life. In this world, draw our hearts to the revelation of the cross. Let Christ be proclaimed through every tribe and tongue and nation that all men might come to you and find redemptive and redemption and glorify your holy name. Let your desires become our aim and direct our lives to what you're doing, Lord. What you're already doing so that we might take part in your perfect plan of redemption. Your will be done. You see, the first half of this prayer is concerned with God's honor, His kingdom, His purpose. And only after that do our needs find their place. The following three petitions are set in the overall priority of God's will rather than our desires. And here is the beautiful thing about that truth. Because God's will is to satisfy you. God's will is to be your daily bread, to give you true life. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah writes this, Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint nor grow weary, and His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even you shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they will not faint. And Jesus, who is the bread of life, in John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life. And he does not end there, church. He says, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. You were never meant to live exhausted. You were never meant to live each day defeated. God is calling you to be renewed every day, to eat of His goodness and drink of His love. Christ has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And let me tell you, that abundance has nothing to do with your flesh being satisfied. We are called to die to ourselves. This thought hit me last week when I was sitting at home on Sunday and I couldn't come to church. I was in the, I was in the Word and I was reading in, in James where James chapter 5, he says, all of our earthly riches will rot and our possessions will be eaten by moss. And Jesus calls us lovingly when he says, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the thought came to me, how much in our lives do we settle our joy for the feasts of moths? For the things that will be destroyed, that will rust, that will be stolen. We settle our joys for the things, the feasts of moths. When God calls us into satisfaction that goes beyond our flesh's desires, that goes beyond all possessions that we can have, that comes alone in His presence being shown through us. Don't settle your heart. Don't settle your joy for the things that can be stolen. Jim Elliott, amazing man. I don't have the quote, but it goes something like this. The man is not a fool to give up what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. God's will is to transform you through the power of the cross. And God's will is to forgive you. 
Remember what we talked about at Christmas. The first thing that God does in the fall is He looks at the serpent and He says, Serpent, there will be one who will come and He will crush you. A seed that will come through the line of David and the government shall be upon His shoulders and His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yes, He will go into the ground, but He only goes into the ground to lift Himself back up and with Him the keys of death and Hades. Christ died for you so that you could find forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And here's the thing. True grace produces grace. The evidence that grace has been sown into your heart, the evidence that the cross has really transformed your way of thinking and brought you into new life is that you extend it to the people around you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. True grace produces grace. Martin Luther once said when he went to bed reviewing the day that he realized he needed to pray the fifth petition. Lord, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And he would wake up previewing the next day and realize he needed to pray the sixth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what is Christ telling us here in the sixth petition? Don't lead us into temptation. The Bible is clear that God never tempts us. This is what James says. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. Let me say that again. God does not tempt you. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own desires. Then after desire was conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So if God doesn't tempt us, why in the world would Jesus say, lead us not into temptation? Why would we pray something He already doesn't do? There needs to be some clarity here, and there's a reason that word is on the screen. That is the root word for that word temptation in the Greek. Uh, it's peramos, and it means temptation or test. This is in your outline if you have one. Now this word means temptation or test. And the definition of this world is startling to me because it says both senses can apply simultaneously. Which means a test. So it is a test or a temptation depending on one's response. Now let me clarify. Let's add a verse. John 1, 12 through 15. A man who endures trials, peramas, is blessed. Same exact word. Because when he passed the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted. Same word. Same exact word. So what's the difference here? Trials reflects a man whose heart is fully trusting in God. This is a man who is facing a situation in which he may fall, but in which he was not meant to fall. A situation in which he may be ruined, but out of which he is meant to emerge spiritually strengthened and drawn into the sufficiency of Christ. When trials come your way, Christ is sufficient to carry you through. Okay? Now temptation reflects a man who's not put his trust in God. 
His goodness, but instead gets lured away by the desires of his flesh. His flesh rules him and pulls him into sin. See the difference? The Bible is very clear that God tests us always. The testing of the Lord refines us like silver and gold. Listen to this. The top two are from 40 years in the desert. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. The Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And this is David's prayer in the psalm. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. For your faithful love is before my eyes and I live by your truth. And James, count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith faith produces steadfastness. So, trials refine us. How many of you have grown without going through a trial? I mean, let's be honest. It is the grace of God trials come to us. They are what shape everything we are. They teach us perseverance, courage, strength. They lead us to a deeper faith of sufficiency in in the sufficiency of Christ. Our response in trials as Christians is the evidence of our trust in God. But every trial can turn to temptation, which is why Jesus adds a second part to this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil interprets, interprets, lead us not into temptation. So what's the interpretation? This is it. There is an enemy who seeks to kill you. There is an evil one who seeks to turn tests into temptations. In this petition, Jesus reveals one of the most fundamental truths in life, Jesus' enemy turns tests into temptations. The devil wants to destroy your trust in God. There are evidence or experiences in life through which the Father intends to prove and improve our character and our faith, but the evil one sneaks in and he intends to destroy our character and our faith in a very subtle way, an unrelenting way. He twists the goodness of God and draws us to our flesh. What the Father of Jesus means is a test the evil one seeks to turn into a temptation. Jesus, or Satan is all too keen in drawing us to our flesh. His goal is to draw us to question God's goodness. So how then should we word this sixth petition? I would word it like this. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. Father, as you lead us to the test, do not let the test become a temptation. Father, as you lead us to the test to solidify that you are enough and to draw us into the strength of the cross, do not let our flesh draw us into temptation. The Father never tempts you with anything. Because in all situations, Christ is sufficient to carry you through and strengthen your faith and foundation of who He is. Tests come to draw you to the Father. So I would ask you this question. Is Christ sufficient for you? Some of you might be thinking, does he even understand what I'm going through? You don't understand what I'm going through. Let me give you a verse, Hebrews 2. It's not on there, but I'm going to tell it to you. It's in your outline. That actually might be on there. It is. For since he himself was tested and he has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Christ knows everything you're going through. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will carry you through this. 
I will solidify the fact that I am strong enough. Listen to what Paul says when he's struggling with this question. And this is, this is God's response to Paul when he asks, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because Christ is present. Do you truly believe God is God? See, this is not a random end note. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Be revealed as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, God. Be our everything. Forgive us our sins. And at the end, he says, do you trust me? When trials come, do you trust that I am good? Do you trust that I can carry you through? Or are you going to fall into your flesh? Temptation does not come from the Father. Do we really have a choice though? I mean, it's easy to persevere when you stub your toe, but what about death? What about sickness? What about pain? Do you really have a choice in trials? I'm going to end with this. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor. Between 1942 and 1945, Frankl labored in four different camps, including Auschwitz which his parents and his brothers and his pregnant wife were all killed in. In 1959, he wrote his memoir on life in a Nazi death camp called Man's Search for Meaning. And I want to read you a page from this book because it's startling. This is what Frankel says. He says, what about human liberty? Is there no spiritual freedom in regard to behavior and reaction to any given surrounding? More importantly, do prisoners' reactions to a singular world of the concentration camp prove that man cannot escape the influence of his surrounding? Does man have no choice of action in the face of such circumstance? The experience of camp life shows that man does have a choice. There were enough examples often of heroic nature which proved that apathy could be overcome, irritability suppressed. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of dependence of mind, even in the such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offered sufficient proof. And catch this that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. And there is always a choice to be made. Every day, every hour offers the opportunity to make a decision. A decision which determines whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threaten to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determine whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of a typical inmate. Seen from this point of view, the mental reactions of an inmate of a concentration camp must seem more to us than a mere expression of certain physical and sociological conditions. Even though conditions such as lack of sleep, insufficient food, and various mental stress may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways, in the final analysis it became clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision.
and not the result of the camp influence alone. Fundamentally, therefore, any man can, under any such circumstance, decide what shall become of him, mentally, spiritually. He may retain his human dignity even in a concentration camp, and it is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away. This makes life meaningful and purposeful. Every situation we have the choice, a choice to make. That is the grace of God. And it can be founded in our flesh, it can be founded in our circumstance, or it can be founded in the cross. God's grace for you is always to extend hope in every situation. It doesn't mean the situation will change necessarily. It means your, your, your way of looking at it, your perception, your, your foundation of faith will change. So what camps have you settled in? What vices have you let take you over? Where have you given up? Because you don't think Christ is enough. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. Four of the books he wrote in the New Testament, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, were all written in prison when he wrote in prison. And listen to this famous words he wrote. I know what it is to need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Paul's circumstance did not dictate his joy. The cross dictated his joy. Gail, would you like to come forward? His trials only solidified the power of Christ in him because his trust was in the Lord. So when it says, lead us not into temptation, it means, God, when the tests come, let us believe and trust in your goodness. Let us rest in your unfailing love. Don't let us fall to evil. Would you welcome Gail to the stage, please? It's on. told you this, but Dennis and Kathy, thank you for raising him to love the Lord. He's been a great blessing for us. And thank you guys for letting me share this testimony with you. I would uh, just like to pray briefly. Um, Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word, God, uh, the word I believe you've given me. Pray that you would use it to stir up desire and affection for your son, uh, for these people. Lord, I, I pray that you would work on our hearts, that you would sanctify this body. Lord, that you would um, help us, Lord, to seek you with all of our hearts and that we would have the courage to bring our idols to you so you can destroy them and Lord I pray that you would raise us up and prepare us for battle and Lord that you would lead us into warfare for the praise of your name Lord Um, 
I have been a Christian for about 40 years. I first believed in Christ at a youth camp when I was about 10 years of age. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive my sins. And uh, I grew up going to church. And I went to Christian schools and I even went to Bible college. And my wife and I married and raised a good family together. We always attended church. We supported missionaries and uh, liked Christian fellowship. And this has been my life on the outside. On the inside, however, I have acted like an unbeliever. I did not obey God's word. I had a form of religion without ever really considering what his word requires of believers. I did not follow the commandments of God to love the Lord your God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I was in rebellion against God and his word, and I deceived myself, and I was false to the truth. I called myself a believer, but faith in his in name only that bears no outward change in a person, it denies the power of God and his indwelling Holy Spirit. My belief utterly lacked the power of God working within me. The awesome power of God within us, working within us as he promised, challenges all of our former beliefs. It challenges our our loves and it challenges our habits and our sins. And it calls us, completely calls us and causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for more of him. I pursued, rather, I pursued wealth with all of my heart. It became my God in every way. And as I increased my net worth, it gave me value and self-esteem. And I put my hope in it, and it gave me security, and I trusted in it, and it gave me daily bread. If my net worth dropped, my self-worth started to drop as well. I became less secure and worried about my short and long-term goals and needs. I even hoped in my heart um, that... um, Rather, if my friends or peers became more successful than me, I became threatened and insecure, and I even hoped in my heart that some of them might stumble or fail, and I had trouble being happy for them when they had success in their lives. I never considered how much money I wanted or needed. I just know I wanted more. But as I pursued this idol, I began to see some very troubling things come out of my life. I longed for peace, but there wasn't any. And I was filled with constant anxiety. It kept me awake at night, and I would often get out of bed and take long walks, try to work out the fear and anxiety that were, was tormenting me. I became increasingly angry. I vented this on my family and friends with moodiness and bursts of temper. But I became most angry with God. I often questioned why. If he loved me so much, he did not answer my prayers and give me what I wanted and what I was asking him for. And over the years, this condition in my heart got worse instead of better. Last summer, I told my wife that God no longer spoke to me at all. I told her that I hardly ever prayed anymore because it was useless, that God either didn't care or he didn't exist. Either way, we didn't talk. This is where unbelief leads us. 2 Corinthians tells us that the God of this world, Satan, he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth of the gospel. And if we walk away from light, we walk into darkness. This is truth. 
This is truth. It's unbelief, and it's called rebellion. In August, on a weekend camping trip, I read a book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, and chapter 6 in that book was titled The Speaking Voice. It clicked a little light on in my brain, and I started to consider the possibility that God didn't have a speaking problem after all, that maybe I had a hearing problem. Tozer said that it was in God's nature to speak endlessly and continuously and that he, had not, he was not silent nor had he ever been silent. In fact, he's called the living word. Speech is inevitable. A few days after reading Tozer's book, I was called out of town to work on a water plant in a small village north of Fairbanks and I didn't want to go. And I, I was supposed to meet a technician at the airport. I'd never met the guy. So I arrived early about 6 o'clock, and I was sitting in the airport in my pickup, and I was trying to pray, but I was just in a really foul mood. And, and this van pulled in next to me, and these three guys got out, and they stood there in the parking lot smoking, and I, I wasn't in the mood to talk to anybody, so I waited for them to clear out before I got out of my truck. And Nevertheless, as soon as I got out and started carrying my luggage into the terminal, one of them ran up to me and offered to help, and I, I just brushed him off. I said, you know, I got it. Don't worry about it. And... I walked into the terminal, went up to the counter, and I told the lady uh, at the counter uh, that I was waiting for another person to show up, and I gave her his name. Well, this guy had followed me in, and he said, well, that's me. I, I'm the guy you're waiting to work with. <laughs> Super embarrassing. Uh, I worked with him all day, and that evening, during a break, he, he stopped and he said, do you, do, you got, do you have any kids? And I said, well, yeah, my wife and I have 10 children. We've adopted some, and we have some biologically, and... He stopped and he looked at me and he said, please tell me that God lives in your life. And I said, I said, yeah, yeah, um, you're, you're a Christian all the way out here? And he stood there and witnessed to me about the awesome power of God in his life and how it had changed his whole life. And then he dug in his tool bag and handed me a New Testament. And I, I, I mumbled something about being a Christian. And I said, I've got this, I've got a Bible and I've got this book by A.W. Tozer. He looked confused, like, how could I be such a grouch having both of those books? <laughs> he didn't say so, though. The following week, I was in my garage, and I was working on a welding project, and I was unloading some steel, and it was the middle of the afternoon. I was loading some steel on the floor of my garage when this sentence, or rather this complete phrase, just dropped into my mind, totally separate from what I was thinking. It was simply this. If you come out here and pray... I will show you what I want you to do. And I immediately went inside and I told my wife, I think God just spoke to me. And within 10 minutes, I was doubting it, of course. And, but I was looking for something, and this was something. So I could see no harm in following through. And that night, I took my Bible and I went out to the shop next to the wood stove, and I started to seek God through prayer. And within a few days, God began to speak to me through his word about the unbelief in my life. It started like a candle, but as I persisted in prayer, the light inside me of his truth shone brighter and brighter. And in the coming weeks, he revealed to me, through his word, the many idols in my life. And I began to repent both to him and to other people. I started to devour his word. He showed me that I could do nothing unless I committed to abiding in him. I began to hunger and thirst for more righteousness. 
and my desires for my idols begin to fade. For the first time in my life, I begin to pursue God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as I earnestly pursued him, I began to see how fleshly my desires were. They completely controlled me. Completely. I understood that to be fleshly minded was death and to be spiritually minded was life and peace. But I live in the flesh. So I began to strive to be led by the spirit and, and to put to death these desires of my flesh. At this time, I began to pray two prayers consistently. We are told to ask God for wisdom, so I began to ask him to let me see myself and the people around me through his eyes. I became convinced that my perspective was wrong and that if I could see myself as he sees them, it would change everything. My closely held value system would just collapse and vanish. I would see correctly and I would value correctly. For example, if I could spend five minutes in heaven or in hell and then come back, it would change my perspective. It would change everything about my life. I would never look at my life on this earth the same way again. I needed to see myself in the world correctly as he sees through his eyes. Secondly, I began asking for fruit. And, and this is critical. I lacked belief, which is faith, and I wanted strong and true faith. And the evidence of true faith and strong faith is fruit, good fruit. I had read the parable of the fig tree in Luke where the vineyard owner found no fruit on the tree after many years. And he said, I'm going to cut it down. And the gardener said, well, let's leave it for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize and water. And then if it doesn't produce fruit, we'll we'll cut it down. And, And I saw myself as that tree. After 40 years of believing, I had to admit that the fruits coming out of my life were not good. Not only were the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, faith, meekness, they weren't there. But the the stuff coming out of my life was just downright evil. I mean, it was hatred, it was jealousy, it was envy, it was covetousness, unthankfulness. James tells us that if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth. These things are not wisdom from above, but they are earthly and sensual and demonic. I began asking for the evidence of fruit every day, and I continued praying. I began to feel especially impressed in my prayer times to start spending an hour or more per night in my garage to extend it. And so I began to develop a list of people and ministries to pray over. I also continued to wrestle with God about the money issue. This was huge to me. It was frightening to consider letting go of something that I was so dependent on for my value and my security, self-worth. However, I felt God was trying to kill an idol in my life, and so I began to surrender it to him. So instead of focusing on my net worth, I, my wife and I started asking God where he would like us to give. And we prayed specific prayers so we could get specific answers because I wanted to have my faith built. And almost immediately he started showing us needs and we responded to them. I felt like he was asking me to forget about business and investing for the present time and to focus on seeking him, and so I did. Instead, my wife and I started ministering to the people around us. 
we started building friendships with some precious people that we met down at the Fairbanks Rescue Mission that were struggling. We met a family that had tremendous, tremendous devastating loss through violence in their life, and we just fell in love with this family. And we've met some dear people that were incarcerated down at the Fairbanks Correctional Facility, and we've been ministering to their families as well. And on Sunday evening, we started attending a small church down by the rescue mission that specifically uh, ministers to people from the mission that are struggling with addictions of various kinds. And uh, after attending there for a month or so, I asked if... uh, a group of people there would meet about an hour ahead of service and pray for the service. We would pray for the minister and the music and the attendance, even the building. And the goal of the prayer was to prepare our hearts for ministry so we could see what God was doing and so we could participate with him. And and Jesus even said, he said, I can do nothing and only what I see my father doing. And how much more important is it that we... um, see what the Father's doing as well. So as my prayer list grew, I began to minister and pray with more and more people. God began revealing to me through Scripture that as believers, we are to be wrestling demons. Not low-level demons, but the really powerful ones. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and authorities and powers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. I begin to pray over the people on my list with the authority given me in Christ Jesus. There is a war being fought all around us, and we're the objective. It is not fought here on earth, but it's fought in the spiritual realm. We have a vital part in that war, and our weapons are not fleshly, but they're mighty through God for destroying strongholds, and we can do nothing if we do not abide in him. I begin to storm the strongholds around Fairbanks each night, commanding chains to be broken and prisoners to be set free, but I also use the practical weapon of love during the day by ministering to people and praying with people as God led me to. Ephesians tells us that the prayer of the righteous person has great power in its working. I started noticing an unexpected side benefit of developing and praying over a list of people. As the list continued to grow, it got to the point where it took about an hour to get through each night, and I've worked at collecting cell phone numbers of the people on that list. And while I'm praying, I, I, get, I, I get led to text people on that list and let them know I'm praying for them right then, right at that moment, and what I'm praying for them about. Other times I would run into people downtown that I've been praying for, and I could tell them honestly that I've been praying for you for days, months, and I hardly ever miss a time. And I'm amazed by how God has used that to encourage people around me. It's, it's, it's amazing. And Norm, I, I pray for you every single day. I, I hardly ever miss a night. I, I ask that God will lift you up and give you wisdom and insight you, you lead an important ministry in this church, and I, I have your back in prayer every single night. Brian, I don't know if you're here, but I, I lift you up every single day in prayer. I, I pray that God will give you boldness to speak his word, that he'll make you accountable to the other staff members so you won't stumble and discourage this body. I lift you up every night in prayer. Every night. As the fruit of the Spirit began to appear in my life, my temper, anxiety, and jealousy, and envy 
they just all vanished. They just, they just went away. Apparently, there's not room in the same fountain for sweet water and salt water at the same time after all. In their place, I've begun to let God tell me what I'm worth. I've begun to love others. I have joy, and I'm starting to have peace, and he's given me rest. God is speaking to me every day through his word and confirming it through many different people. I'm consumed by a desire to know him. He is the pearl of great price to me. He's worth everything I have ever wanted and everything I currently have. Knowing him has become my greatest desire. In the process of letting go of my idols and stepping out in new faith towards him, I have started to understand that the greatest evidence of God in our lives, the most powerful proof that he both exists and is our hope, is our faith itself. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It is the substance of things not seen. And Peter tells us that it's more precious than gold. The goal goal of our faith is our salvation in the end. What what kind of homecoming do we want? Do, Do we want to stand in the back of the crowd and ashamed before God that we trusted him so very little? Do we want to be like the man in the parable of the coins that buried his faith in fear of failure and not trust God's power? Or do we want to be like Stephen the martyr that brought Jesus to his feet in anticipation of his arrival? What do we hunger and thirst for? Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, but not on this earth. I I pray that we will never get enough of Jesus to be filled on this earth. I pray that we will always hunger and thirst for the food and drink that is in heaven stored there through, uh, through faith for us. In the end of the book of Revelations, The redeemed of all of the ages are standing before the great white throne and they're beholding their God on his throne. And he says this to them. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He says, let the spirit and the bride say come to the one who desires come. To him who hears come. And to those who are thirsty, take the water of life without payment. Let's always stay thirsty for him. Let's always stay thirsty for more. Blessings. You know, I had this thought this week, or maybe last week, I was talking with our, our Young and Coast uh, leaders, we have a small group on Friday night, and it just, what's the difference between Eden and eternity? What's the difference between the relationship that Adam and Eve had in Eden, and that we're going to have in eternity? Because Adam and Eve in the garden, they were, they were swooned away in their flesh, And here's the difference, the cross. See, the cross is not just the focus point of the world. It's the focus point of eternity. Because 
what Adam and Eve did not understand in the garden, we now know complete in Christ. The love of the Father. And in eternity, there will be one person that bears scars on his hands and on his side. And for eternity, we will go to the throne of grace and praise without ever a chance of falling away because we will understand who Christ is. There will be no if or and or buts about falling away from the beauty of our King because we know the cross. And if the cross is sufficient in eternity to draw us to the throne for millions and millions and millions of years, it is sufficient for you in every day of your life. Every day. So I want to end with this. See, in the Lord's Prayer, if you look at, if you look at the transcripts, um, the Lord's Prayer ends there, but in the first century, they're like, we can't really end here. So what they did is, is they said, you can't just end a prayer by saying, give us something. So they, they added on a section of Scripture um, that was out of King David's lips, and it comes from 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. And I just would ask you guys to stand when we read this, because this is a beautiful thing. And this is King David, and this is how he ends. Uh, This is at the coronation of the king. And these are the words that he speaks. He says, May you be praised, Lord God, our Father of Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So with that in mind, it seems fit to end the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your power and your glory. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Christ is sufficient for you, church. And if we keep our eyes on Him, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. We follow no man, we follow the King. And when we follow the King, He changes the world. So if we can have some of our prayer teams come forward, if you guys need an encouragement, if you need prayer, there'll be people up here. If not, just stand and sing with us and declare the glory of our God. God is good. Have a blessed week, church. Amen.
last week. 